Welcome to the fifth episode of the Talent Intelligence Collective podcast. Finally, we've got the full band together. Myself, Toby Coulshaw, Alison Etteridge and Nick Brooks co-hosting what we, with a smidgen of bias, think is the best talent intelligence podcast in the world. And of course, on the best podcast, we have the very best guests. So we were joined by Lyndon Yanez of Verizon. He talked about his route into TI and his and Verizon's unique and incredibly sophisticated approach to talent intelligence. Have fun. Before we get on with the main event, I just wanted to remind you that this podcast is proudly sponsored by our friends at Stratagens. And here's a very well-spoken chat to tell you a little bit more about them. Stratagens gives HR leaders the data they need to transform businesses with the speed and ease required in today's world. If you're ready to make decisions that aren't lengthy, costly, one-dimensional, or based on gut feeling, visit stratagens.com. That's S-T-R-A-T-I-G-E-N-S dot com to register for a Wednesday demo drop-in and find out more. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to episode five of the Talent Intelligence Collective podcast. Yay! There's that sound effect. I'm Alan Walker, semi-professional podcast host on Many Things HR, currently slowly learning about the world of talent intelligence. Thankfully, though, my co-hosts are far more knowledgeable than I, so I'm delighted to say that we've got the full band together for the very first time. Yay! Another yay. I'll be on vocals, Toby on guitar, Nick on bass, and Alison, who's definitely the loudest, on drums. We're finally ready to rock. So for our new listeners, I know we're picking up these thick and fast. Um, as we've got the full band together, finally, let's do a, a quick round of intros. Alison, why don't you go first? Hi, I'm Alison Ettridge. I'm Chief Believer and Founder behind Talent Intuition, which is the company that's behind Strategens. Chief Believer, because we think you should join the dots between talent intelligence, business intelligence and workforce planning. And I can't play the drums. <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> Nick? Hello. Yeah. So Nick Brooks, that guy from Microsoft. Um, no, I can't troubleshoot word for you, but I have dabbled a little in talent intelligence over the years. So uh, our team is heavily involved in workforce location strategy and also a lot of uh, competitive intelligence where, where business and talent strategy intersect. Fabulous. Toby? Yeah, Toby Coleshaw over at Amazon leading talent intelligence for worldwide ops. This is the first time I've said I work for Amazon on a podcast. Oh, fabulous. You guys all know yourselves so well. Good intros. And of course, we also have our guest with us, Lyndon Lanes. Lyndon, hi. Hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Lyndon Yanez from uh, Verizon's Talent Intelligence team. And uh, we're a small team that of scientists and analysts that really we spend time leveraging digital technology, scientific methods, and analytics to get insights on, on labor trends, skills, and uh, market analytics. Perfect. And from now on, I will pronounce your surname correctly. Um, you're very much part of the band as guest museum for the musician for the rest of the show, even. Um, thanks for introducing yourself. And um, it's great to have you on the show. Feel free to jump in, speak up, take over, whatever you like. I'm fairly easy. So here for our new listeners how is how the rest of the show is going to pan out. In just a minute, Toby is going to lead us through a discussion of some of the more interesting happenings in the world of talent intelligence, news, views, industry insights, all that jazz. And then Alison and Nick are going to team up on Lyndon and fire questions at him about his career and views on talent intelligence. So we've got a lot to get through. Let's crack on. 
Toby, what's happening in the world of TI? Quite a lot. Um, obviously, a lot of it's going to be tied to the COVID situation and, and how people are looking to address that. Uh, one of the big pieces that I spotted in the last couple of weeks was uh, Deutsche Bank, and they did some research and uh, are looking at how we should basically claw the money back off the, off the, the, the workforce um, for everything that's going on around, around COVID. Um, they're looking at a remote worker tax and the proposition uh, they think it should raise about 48 billion in the US alone. Um, so a really big move, basically looking to, to tax anyone that's working remotely to then support workers that can't work remotely or earn less than $30,000 a year. Um, and it's obviously all tied to the fact that the whole supply chain is getting disrupted. Uh, cities, commuter belts, everything around that workforce, the coffee shops, um, the lunch shops, everywhere you, you go during your workday, that's all being impacted. So, um, yeah, Deutsche Bank doing a big bit of research on that, um, which has got some very mixed reviews uh, in terms mm. of the, the, the chat on, on the, the Facebook group and what people are thinking about it. And what you say, mixed reviews, so it's kind of an even split between positive and negative, or is it a general leaning towards the negative? General leaning towards the negative, but it's also that contextual piece around the the implications if we don't, and the implications of, of what that means for um, the workforce within particularly large cities where people aren't commuting into, but that whole commuter piece, that obviously then spirals into conversations that we, we've had before on here around do we see that as a de-urbanisation of people moving back out of cities mm. and, and, and looking for work? And, and if that does happen, you've then got the, the city wages and rural environments and you've got the increase of cost of living, increase to, of property, et cetera, then that forces people out of rural environments. So it ties in a, a lot of different elements. Um, and then you've got some people who just say it's a really cynical move to, to squeeze um, the workforce to, to claw the money back to, by, by the, the governments. Um, so... Yeah, quite a few different perspectives, to be honest. And I guess as we have a guest on from the US, I think that's where that research was focused. Is that right? What what view have you got on this, Lyndon? So I think first off, I'm not an economist, so they I'll defer to an economist for for any uh, added feedback and and context. But I what think- do you mean? I thought we booked an economist. He's <laughs> <laughs> a genius, not an economist. <laughs> But let me just say that one of the things I think are really important to look at that is, you know, they talk about people who choose to work from home. Um, and I think that's an important thing to talk about because the I don't think there's a lot of quality control or set criteria for deciding who gets to work from home or who doesn't. I've heard instances of a colleague during at the peak of the pandemic was in a corporate setting and still had to go into the office because um, their frontline uh, workers were going in. So they said, well, as a policy, everyone goes in because our frontline's going in. All the corporate mm. staff need to go in too. That's not how I would see it being a choice, right? That That's kind of a, there's not a standardized process for that. So I think that you're going to see a whole lot of issues with a setup like that, um, you know, whether or not it's a choice and how that decision is being made by companies. Um, and then they talk about taxing the employee versus um, the company. Um, I think you'd have to look at, you know, the cost benefit analysis on both sides because, yeah, the employee doesn't have to travel. The company doesn't have to pay for real estate costs as mm. much. You know, they don't have to power the building. They don't have to keep it clean. They don't have to have 
food service staff to feed people in the building. So there's cost benefits on both sides. And I think if you're going to do this, you should look at the cost benefit from both an employee and employer and think about splitting the cost or, you know, letting me keep my 5% in pocket. That's a really good point, yeah, because there's three camps, isn't there? There's have to work at home, choose to work at home, and somewhere in between. And, um, and some people may have a mixture of sometimes working from home and sometimes not. Also, you know, I, I'm less, you know, I'm always less um, middle of the road. Um, I just think this is a bonkers idea. You know, it's, it's kind of like you can't have your cake and eat it. For years, you've, you've made people commute to a place regardless of where they live and regardless of what their travel is like. You can't suddenly kind of go backwards on that just because it suits you. There's kind of broader implications that we need to understand. You know, we, we work with one financial services business, and they said that um, they had mandated that a whole bunch of their workforce went in. So they had to have 30% of their workforce had to go back to the office. And they'd started calling it the wear a proper shirt day because they were wearing proper shirts because they were going into the office, but were spending 100% of their time on Zoom calls and Teams calls to the 70% that weren't in the office. Yeah, I mean, that's just completely bonkers. You know, there's a big reset needs to happen. I don't think we're anywhere near being able to figure out what the answer is yet. I I agree, Alison. I think the it's creating a bit of an inequity as well because um, the remote and distributed workforce is actually a privilege to many. The companies who are firstly embracing it, secondly, have the infrastructure to do it, um, and then have a culture that, that really uh, just thinks about how do we engage and keep our distributed workforce um, really engaged and happy and productive. Um, but at the same time, there's the service industry, which arguably is under greater pressure and um, potentially working more intensely than ever because of new protocols, because of safety. And, and so there's kind of a bit of a divide almost between high tech and, and sciences and, and different industries who are really embracing it. And then the rest of the world who have to continue. And then obviously the company somewhere in the middle who just traditionally can't get over the hurdle of having a distributed workforce and want to obviously bring them back at the earliest opportunity. But what I'd say, Lyndon, your, your comments are really on point, I think. Is it tax the employee? Is it tax the employer? Because is there, if, if they were to build a proposal like this and they wanted to actually support kind of the frontline workers and essential workers more, um, who, who's really making the cost saving? Are employers actually seeing a distinct advantage from having those distributed workers? And is that where the capital could come from. But um, let's be honest, is uh, anyone really going to be in favor of a, a large new tax? So you can imagine this being under significant scrutiny and uh, just the irony that it's it's Deutsche Bank, one of the largest investment banks that are putting this together. So it uh, be interesting to see how this unfolds and if it goes very far. Exactly. What else are we hearing then, Toby? One of the most interesting things coming out, I think, is the SEC, um, so the, the Securities Commission in the US, and they've just mandated human capital disclosure for anyone registered and reporting on the SEC. Um, so essentially, they're looking at a whole range of parameters around uh, what companies are doing with their workforce, and it's going to be mandatory to, to publicly report on those figures. So things like time to hire, for example, diversity rates. Um, could be a hugely, hugely impactful piece. A whole not range of different reasons. It could be from a competitive intelligence stance, you can dig into companies much more than you ever before. From a benchmarking stance, you can dig in much more. Um, but obviously, the potential implications from an M and A perspective, um, if companies are suddenly looking at the SEC mandated disclosure information, how is that going to impact? Is it the case that talent acquisition and HR 
is going to come under more scrutiny than ever before from the business because those numbers have to be spot on for the SEC and they've got to look healthy. So we're going to get really pressurized to make sure those numbers are healthy. Is it that we're going to see more investment because the business wants those health numbers to be healthy? Mm. I think there's a huge number of implications assuming data quality and data uniformity is there. I think there's a lot, lot still to be learned around it, but um, yeah, it could have huge ramifications across the whole, whole of the TI industry. Because it goes really deep, right? It's not just a few metrics. It's a, it's a lot of stuff they're looking at. You know, everything to do with attraction, almost a whole heap of stuff around training and development, and that stuff around turnover, retention. It's, it's pretty fully encompassing, isn't it? Really, really broad. Yeah. So, so as you say, the attraction piece. So you've got time to fill. You've got the time to fill split by critical positions, percentage of positions filled internally. So you're seeing a whole talent management piece. Um, once again, split by critical positions. A huge amount of stuff through the development, so the tra- training costs or investment into training, um, the percentage of, of employees receiving training, whether it's in compliance or ethics, right through to, as you say, retention, turnover rates, once again, cut by critical. Um, and then there's a whole range of um, additional recommended metrics, everything from employee engagement scores through to leadership scores, diversity by age and gender and race and nationality is a huge, huge range of stuff within there, which, as I say, if companies go into this, which they're going to have to do, um, the the amount of data within there and the possibilities for the data is going to be massive. And this is just just impact US-based companies at the moment, do you know? Uh, My my understanding is that it's just purely uh, SEC-focused. I could be wrong on that one. But my understanding is it's purely SEC. But my, my gut feel is even if it was, I think you'd see a number of other companies starting to mirror. And we've obviously seen that with a, a lot of things around diversity already um, and, and reporting of diversity rates and, and salary, et cetera. So, um, yeah, I believe it's, it's US only. Happy to be corrected on that. But I think it will uh, probably be a, 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 a flag post to start, start and then you'll see other people rolling through. Yeah, I imagine the other um, the other big institutions that are responsible for overseeing stock markets in other countries will soon follow. I would imagine so. I would imagine. I think that with all the stuff, it's going to be devil in the detail. You know, is the um, SEC going to be very prescriptive and very directive about what the definition of each of these metrics are? Um, as we know, within TA generally. Getting the definition of metrics is always the, the, the hardest thing because time to fill in one organization doesn't mean the same as time to fill in the next. Um, I think it could be a really good opportunity for the for the industry to start laying down standards of what this information means um, because then we can start benchmarking much more, more effectively. At the moment, it, it's so hard just because of the definition of differences. I guess the, the the more precise those definitions are, the better in a way for the people who are interested in that kind of thing, because that benchmarking becomes so much easier. Uh, that would be my take. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Are you and and Nick Linden? And what are you hearing in the US? Yeah, I think you're probably. So first off, I agree with everything Toby said. It's it's exciting. Um, you're going to see some cool stuff, but I think it's going to be a while before you're going to get anything clean and usable. Um, so I think we mentioned, he mentioned stuff about like how you measure things, right? Like if to make a concrete example, if we use turnover, you know, if you can compare turnover rate for a company that's got 70% of its workforce is developers 
Another company, 80% is manufacturing workers. Another percent company and 70% of them are, are like hospitality workers, right? Interpreting that turnover doesn't mean the same thing. Like you have to make certain industry cuts and you have to aggregate them differently. So how they measure the data as well as how people interpret, aggregate, and consume that data will be important. And it's going to be a while before things get standardized and people start to build this acumen and understand the context and the numbers behind these new metrics. Um, I think that's going to be a pretty big thing that's going to um, shape and, and happen if the SEC stuff starts to happen. And and also, I think this was something we, Toby and I talked a while ago, like like two years ago almost, where you we were like, hey, what do you think is going to happen with TI, right? And I was like, I remember thinking at that time, laws, laws, <laughs> laws are going to happen. And as, as laws start to happen, TI, people analytics, all of that's going to have to shape, evolve, and um, deal with the, the new like policies that are coming up around all of this data and all of this publicly available data, scraping it, aggregating, using it, and and profiting off of it. What what are you hearing, Nick? Yeah, well, at- just yeah, a couple of thoughts. Um, I think it's long overdue. The the putting a valuation around human capital, right? P- people are the center of the, the product, the organization, the ability for to innovate and deliver. Um, but I think to, to Lyndon and Toby's points, the reality of that being kind of a hygiene, a, a clean and usable data set is going to be a, a long, long way off. Um, and some of these high level metrics are not new. I mean, if you look at 10Q filings and other public SEC filings, a lot of companies disclose headcount um, and they do it by functional breakdowns. And I, I won't mention explicitly who, but there is one large organization who have a very broad classification of technical employees. And that includes store workers, as it would a hardware engineer or software engineer. So there's completely different microcosms of culture, cost of talent, et cetera. So what you may start to see is a lot of organizations using vague classifications to their advantage because they don't want to be disclosing too much that could be used to uncover strategy, of course. Um, but there was one, um, one thing nestled in there that caught my eye, and it said human capital ROI. And I feel like that was almost added to the shopping list without too much thought, because I think a lot of organizations still struggle to measure their own productivity and kind of <laughs> ROI of talent. So to expect all organizations that are publicly traded to have an accurate and consistent perspective on that, I feel is a little bit ambitious. So, uh, yeah, let, let's see how, uh, how this rolls out. But it's, um, it's certainly interesting. I think it is long overdue. I love what does, this. What does this mean to your world, Alison? I was just going to say, come in. <laughs> yeah, I love this. I just, I think, um, the f- I think there's three things that are really interesting out of this. The first is it's going to expose a whole bunch of organisations who simply don't have this data. Yeah, you know, never, never mind data that can be accurately measured and compared across organisations. Yeah, you know, there are massive gaps in organisations' HRIS systems. Um, and so that's kind of the first driver. So that means that there's going to be a focus on data around people, which is a good thing. Um, mm. And it will be regulated. The second is that, you know, and this is this ties in completely to what Nick said, is there's a recognition at last that human capital is the primary dr- driver of value in an organisation and can no longer be ignored. And so I think that's a really, really important thing. And then the third piece, again, it kind of links into the stuff that Linton and Toby were talking about, is this is going to lead to a rise in talent intelligence. Yeah, and, and yes, it's going to be a bumpy road and a bumpy journey and all the rest of it, and there'll be more laws and more arguments over how you compare apples and pears, but at least organizations are going to start to think about skills and people and talent as a driver of value, and that for me is only a positive. 
Absolutely. Makes sense. So Toby, let's let's do one more piece before we uh before we put Lyndon in the in the spotlight, so to speak. Yeah, so there was uh, I'll give a quick shout out. There was a really interesting article highlighted by um, Meta McKinney, which Meta. I, Meta sorry, McKinney. Meta, apologies, Meta. Um the before I get into that though, there, there was a really interesting conversation on the group around the new Tesla Gigafactory outside Berlin. And it was a really interesting conversation, I think, for a number of reasons. But the thing it highlighted for me was the the fact that within TI, I think often we can think of ourselves as selfishly as we would, and we're thinking of the talent perspective, and we're looking at opportunities and looking at location studies, for example, and seeing things purely within our, our, our realm and seeing the difficulties from a talent perspective. I think that conversation really highlighted, though, the, the fact that there is a broader context and whether that's the, the market entry, whether that's looking at, at tax breaks, whether it's relationships with the local governments, it really does highlight that there is a broader context to everything that we do. Um, so I think I think if anyone hasn't seen that, jump back into the Facebook group and have a look at that. Um, but the New York Times article I wanted to highlight as the last point for today is um, the title is The Human Experience Will Not Be Quantified, and it's looking very much around the context of data. And the fact that data alone is not knowledge, and it's definitely not wisdom, um, and it, it really doesn't say what we, we think it does. And it, we all know that data is malleable and really does uh, tell different stories depending on how you want to uh, position it. But there, there was a quote that Toby Barnes um, within the group put up, which I'll, I'll just read out because I really like it. It says, the lure of data being absolute, binary in the, the way it informs and therefore providing the only answer versus the understanding of it being another tool in the decision-making. And I really agree with that, and I really like that. I think it's too often we're at the moment looking at data and saying that's the absolute, that's the answer, whereas seeing it as the tool, seeing it within the context of the bigger decision-making process and what that data means, I think is really, really important. And obviously that ties back to the Tesla piece as well. Um, but yeah, really good article. I think Lyndon had a few views on that as well. So I'll throw it over to open and over to you. Before Lyndon leaps in, can I just say on the Tesla point, I love the word gigafactory. <laughs> that, that's all I've got to say. <laughs> Lyndon, so, over so to you. <laughs> you know, I, I think the the human experience that I'm I'm gonna leave the gigafactories to Alan, but the human experience <laughs> part, the data part, yeah, I've had a long Long, strong, long-standing, strong opinion about that. And and the best example that I will say is: Does anyone here on the call smoke, or does anyone listening at home smoke? How many people? I, I may dabble every so okay. often, but I've had a few. Is smoking bad for your health? Oh yeah, yeah. So you know that. There you go. Data is not uh, the only. You don't. It's more than just having data. Data alone, knowledge alone, is not enough to make a decision, and it could. So I think that's a really important thing to remember. So when people say like, oh yeah, the the data, the data, the data, it, it's not always just data. There's other things involved, right? You need more than just data. Um, so I think when people use the data, they're kind of using it as a crutch, but there's other stuff involved there. And it's an important dynamic to consider. Um, other things to remember is that, you know, when you measure things, when you use this data, it's... Oftentimes, you're using a proxy measure, right? You're measuring something else to get at something else to get um, some kind of insight. When you say, oh, my productivity, um, my performance, that's a measure of you know, how many 
um, recs you were able to fill, how many candidates you were able to go through. You're measuring things to kind of um, get to that. But the context of what you're measuring, whether or not it's an appropriate measure, um, and if it's all aligned properly, is really important. So in research that's called validity and reliability, a lot of people don't consider that. And in the same token, from academia, you have the concept of an IRB, an internal review board, meaning um, before you go and publish something, there's a group of very smart people who sit in a room, read your paper and research and say, no, no, dumb, dumb, go back and rewrite this. Um, and that doesn't happen in the corporate world. So when, when people say, I don't trust the data or it's binary or it's misleading, that's true. They, there, are, there are very few times that there's an IRB sitting in a corporate office saying, let me check this before it goes out there. So it's very much like the peer review in the in the world of science. Yep. Yeah. So, Alison, as someone who makes a living out of data, what's your view on this? Um, so I, I think it's really interesting. So you're right, we make a living out of data, but our background um, and our heart and soul is uh, consultancy. That's where we started. Mm. Um, and so I think that brings a different perspective to it. So you know, from the very beginning of when we built Stratagens, we started out with what's the business problem and not what's the data going to tell us. Um, and that's remained a really core value for us throughout the whole process is actually what's the business problem you're trying to, to solve? And, and to tie in to the Tesla example, how do you make sure you join all of the dots? And I think when you start from that end and don't say, hey, here's a bunch of data and, and what's the cool stuff we can do with it, it fundamentally changes the outcome because it changes the way that you look at it. Makes sense. Absolutely. Nick, Toby, anything to add? Yeah, I think um, connected to the Gigafactory, just because I wanted to say the word example. Um, <laughs> you like it too. <laughs> oh, I love it. I can imagine Dr. Evil saying it almost. Um, so, so with that example, if you were to look at the data and think about a lot of the types of rural locations where these, these factories and also data centers, similar kind of um, thought process would be built, you're not going to find the talent. The, the data is conclusively going to say, that you will not find the people you think you need. But there's a lot of other hidden context from the business, which can be fiscal related or space required and, and where those, those are the kind of priority constraints. Um, but what a lot of companies do, especially in the cloud space and around data centers, is they think about reskilling and retraining. So the story kind of goes beyond like a talent intel problem to, to Alison's point, like what's the business strategy and what, what kind of skills do we need to run these factories or data centers? And often it's communities like the agriculture um, space and, and rural communities that can be reskilled and retrained. Those that have mechanical abilities and skills. So you see a lot of organizations then getting creative about, okay, so where are these pockets and what are the kind of skills needed and how do we make individuals digitally literate? And they start to invest in reskilling programs. So it kind of goes beyond the data more around like what is overall the business strategy? What are the constraints we're bound to? And how are we going to overcome this? So um, yeah, I think both both kind of articles are in some way intertwined. Yeah, I love that. Because actually, if, you, if you're going to build your, what was it, Gigafactory? Um, if you're going to build your Gigafactory somewhere, yeah, talent data is always going to tell you where the hotspots are, right? And nobody wants to build their new factory in the hotspots. You want to go to the not spots. You want to be creating a pool, but you want to make sure that it's doable commercially. Um, and that's where all of the wider data points come in. Not spots. I like that as yeah, well. Brilliant. Hot spots and not spots. Hot spots, not spots. And next spots. That's my new one. Is what's the next spot? 
I don't know what to oh. call that. Warm spot sounds a bit weird, so I'm going to go with next spot. <laughs> Let's not go there. Definitely not again. Anyway, <laughs> listen, guys. Um, I always I always enjoy Toby's news roundup. It uh, brings me back up to speed. Um, but I think we've got a fantastic guest on, Lyndon, who we want to know much more about. So I think it's time for our resident hard hitting interviewer extraordinaires. To step up, but out of interest, Nick and Alison, before you do that, who's playing good cop and who's playing bad cop? Oh, don't think we've decided yet. No, you have see. to wait and see. Yeah, could be bad cop, bad cop, Is Lyndon. That, be prepared. It, could be good cop, good cop. Let's you know, could think be. positively. Could be. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, over to you, Alison, Nick. Take the lead. Oh, so this one for me, the first question for me is really interesting, Lyndon, because I don't think you have a typical background for someone who has has landed in the world of talent intelligence. And I love the fact that your journey started really in OD in Retenza. So it was all about employee retention. So very much internally focused, actually, not externally focused. So I just I'd love to hear more about um, how you ended up there and then how you ended up where you are now, because that's it, it feels like a dichotomy of internal to external. Yeah, that's that's very true. And we only have, you know, we got, what, 24 hours for this? My answer, right? Yeah. That's <laughs> a long story. But let me just say that um, I have gotten to where I am through a series of extremely fortunate events and, and mentors in my life. Um, and that's how I got here. It's fantastic. I, when I went to Retenza, uh, when I was there, I while there, I was gearing up to be your next L&D leader. I was going to facilitate, lead, and inspire people through, you know, engagement and talking to people. I didn't want to touch data at all. So it was uh, it was funny there that they, they kind of said, hey, you, I don't have any L&D type stuff for you right now, but you're a really good critical thinking person. I can give you some some stuff that some numbers you said you didn't like numbers i'm going to give you some numbers though try it see how it tastes if you can chew on it and you like it i'm going to give you more numbers and i started falling in love with the turnover data um you know i i kind of um came from a background of like undergrad in psychology where i was like oh human interaction is really interesting to me human behavior and i kind of wanted to switch to um out of that clinical setting though and apply it more broadly and, and that's how i ended up at retenza in a corporate uh, applying turnover and human behavior to understand why people are leaving. And then I kind of went through all different parts of HR, right? I I went from there to looking at um, turnover at a large hospital system, um, as well as working with their class and compensation system to to classify employees and understand, Hey, what, what type of work is this person doing? Um, and again, looking at numbers, saying, hey, why are people leaving this system? Why are nurses, um, why is our nurse turnover high? Oh, well, it's not really high compared to national benchmarks. We're right on point. It's just hard. Um, right. So learning that stuff was really interesting. And at a certain point, I said, well, the turnover stuff is cool, but let me get, get a flavor of what's going on on the opposite end, the talent acquisition side, the selection side. And it was there that I moved over to Verizon. I absolutely fell in love with TA data. Like if you had told me years ago that TA is going to have the coolest data you can imagine, I would have called you a liar and I would have stopped being your friend. Um, wow, <laughs> Lyndon's bad cop. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it. There's so much cool data in TA. Uh, and I absolutely fell in love with 
uh, all of the stuff that you get. Um, understanding like this is the people who are interested in jobs. Like this is how things are evolving. This is how the company is evolving. This is how the workforce, the entire country is evolving in skills, how the world is evolving with technology. So I absolutely love it. It's really cool. Um, and, and I ended up here because uh, someone said, you know, one person after another said, you're good with numbers, or I see you doing cool thinking with these things. Let me give you something else to think about. And, and that's how I landed to where I am here. That's so cool. So cool, Lyndon. And just the, the fact that your experience was originally grounded in psychology and organizational uh, psychology. So it's all about human-centered experience. How do people think, interact, and then how does that actually impact the way that individuals interact in a workplace? So, it's, yeah, I can imagine that learning journey has been so profound and rich. Um, so question for you. I um, we, we talked a little about it in the news section of um, data on its own being in isolation not being enough can be damaging. Um, there's this whole layer of consulting and storytelling, right? Understanding business nuances and strategy. Um, so could you tell us a bit more about how you think about team capabilities and, and different strengths that enable you to, of course, think about the, the very rigorous data cleansing, analysis, extraction um, type work, and then how you actually do the consultation piece as well. And if there are particular kind of attributes across your team that you see having distinct strengths one way or the other. Oh, that's a very good question. I would say the first, so there's almost like what is a core requirement, right, for this team before you can even be accepted. So barrier to entry, um, you've got to be able to have, be able to do consulting. That's a big thing. Um, we are interacting with our clients, our business leaders, executives, and you're going to need to be able to help them. Um, they're going to give you a business case, a problem, and you're going to need to turn and translate that into data and into research questions. So consulting, first and foremost, you need that skill. Second thing, um, our team over at Verizon is incredibly data heavy, um, you know, and this might not be true for your organization, but for us, you need to be able to um, eat, sleep, and breathe data. So if I'm going to throw, you know, you know, 5 million data points at you, you've got to be able to say, well... Um, if I if I sent you five million and one data points, you have to be able to say, oh, can't use Google for that. Google Sheets breaks at five million, right? Um, you need to be able to kind of say, uh, when I'm working with this much, here's the things I should be considering with the data. How do I know how to structure it to build or reshape it to build the analysis? Um, those are the two key things for our team. Um, outside of that, then we just specialize in different places like. Well, we have our data scientist who is phenomenal at helping uh, re-engineer, build and shape the data and uh, build out some models. We've got a great analyst who can help build statistical models um, that help us like create predictive models. And then we've got people who are going to really have that HR experience and background and say, um, you know, yeah, that's that's a great model, but you can't go and throw like an ARIMA model into, into people data, right? You can't just throw a... Um, a basic sort of thing that you would use in finance here. And, and here's why, and here's the messiness of the data. So it's a bit of a blend. Um, and we look to kind of all work together to, to fill out any gaps that we might have. What a great answer. So one thing that stood out to me is the, the three, maybe four unicorns in the industry who have consulting and deep data expertise in the HR space all work for Linden. So, uh, Appreciate that piece of information. There. <laughs> um, but no, I, I love how you think about, again, consulting plus data plus 
context and understanding our function, our organization. And, and that, that those kind of layers, just that's where we get to a more strategic edge, right? You have to understand the business to be able to relay uh, accurate conclusions and recommendations. So yeah, awesome response. Um, Alison, over to you. Whether you're feeling good or bad, let's see. Well, you know, I think it's really interesting because we talk about talent intelligence um, and the word intelligence implies exactly what Linton's just been talking about. And yet how many functions actually start there um, or how many suppliers start there? You know, I, I think we, we go um, curiosity killed the cat. Um, and, and you know what? We're up for doing that because curiosity has got to be the driver um, that comes into this. I think one of the things that's interesting um, in Lyndon's journey is that Lyndon refers to himself as talent intelligence and people analytics. So suddenly we've got this kind of blend of internal and external data that we don't necessarily see in many organizations. So Lyndon, it'd be great if you could talk more about, about how you kind of see that blend of internal and external data. And perhaps if you're able, some of your reporting lines, because I think that's also quite interesting and something we explore with, with all of our guests and how it differs. Uh, okay, sure. So let me let me think for a second. I'm trying to figure out what I can and cannot say. Uh, I can say that it's a fun space to be able to hit that blend. And I would say that one of the big projects for 2020 that our team has been really, really big on has been um, taxonomy. Verizon's been building its own custom um, internal taxonomy. And you really can't do that only using internal data. You can't do that only using external data. You know, the our team had this beautiful sweet spot. Um, you know, it's almost destiny to, for us to be able to be part of this cool project where we see both the external and internal and we're able to create a join, a union for all of that data. Um, because if you're only doing it on what skills and, and jobs are within Verizon, well, then you're divorced from the market. You've created a job that can only exist in five different um, locations, or it's only got 500 people who can do it, and it's completely um, unsustainable. Uh, if you only do it externally focused, well, then you've lost that context of the business strategy and needs, right? Um, great to know that this is the, you know, there's there's a decline or an increase in this talent pool or anything, but um, Verizon is not looking to hire more, you know, um, space pirates. I don't care about the development of space pirates across the U.S. I don't, you know, that's completely divorced from me. It's foreign. Um, <laughs> so I'm beginning it, to think our taxonomy is missing space pirates now. I'm a bit worried about our own taxonomy. <laughs> space pirates is great, though, because you'll think about that. Yeah. What do you need to be a space pirate? You got to be part astronaut. Part, you got to know uh, nautical terminology, like starboard side, if you're a pirate. You got to know, you know, grow a beard, have a peg leg. Different criteria <laughs> for the different roles combined together. I love talking with you. What's the um, biggest impact your function has had? Oh, uh, that's a hard one. I, I think the coolest thing is, frankly, the taxonomy project is really fun to me because yeah. it is – building something that is the foundation for everything. And and this isn't just me, by the way. This isn't just us. It's a large group project across cross-functional, across all of HR. Um, and I love that because it's not just a silo. Um, that's probably why this is my favorite project. We're talking about partnership with everybody. Um, the business is, is coming in, providing um, uh, context. Uh, we've got compensation, you've got talent acquisition, you've got learning and development. Everyone's kind of pooling together to create this wonderful thing. So I think 
long lasting impact. It's this, um, you know, your, your BAU work for more of the talent intelligence stuff that we normally talk about um, is I, I like, I like anything that where we talk about like workforce uh, where we're supporting like the workforce um, plan or decision to go. Do we go here, go there? Um, that location stuff where we're talking about like hundreds of people, um, two years down the line, five years, uh, what are we talking about? How many people are we going to need to hire and plan that out? Um, when we enable and support those decisions, because ultimately I don't decide whether we go to Milwaukee or Antarctica, it's the business who's helping make that. Uh, I love being able to enable that and and also kind of see that stuff before it even anyone else does. It's kind of really cool. I haven't heard of any other business building around taxonomy. Um, nope. Or particularly not using internal and external, which I think is really cool um, to inform it. So you're kind of not getting a, a narrow view. Was the driver future of work? Or was it an idea that kind of just appeared and emerged through lots of conversations? There are a lot of things that help bring it about. Um, you know, um, a lot of internal stuff that I, I can't go into too much detail for. But, you know, if you can imagine... I think, I think in one of the, Alice, we were on a call about like a week ago where mm-hmm. someone was saying, Hey, I'm, I'm doing things from requisition to requisition. I'm applying TI from requisition to requisition. Yeah. And the big issue with that is you can't scale and you're constantly doing one at a time. Yeah. Um, and so I think along our leaders, there was an acknowledgement, you know, not just from our team driving it, the entire company acknowledging saying we can do more and we can do better. If we can say and agree on a single definition and say, like, this is what we're defining as a data scientist, this is what we're defining as an HR manager, we can scale it across multiple places. We can see things, um, abilities, skills, like you're talking about skill up across jobs. And in order for that, we need to build this. And in order for this to be sustainable and to not grow out of date and out of fashion, we need to look at the market. And we need to be aligned to use this uh, competitively. So it's a number of multiple things coming together. Um, again, it's like that perfect stor- storm, that sweet spot, everything coming together to do something really kind of cool. So, Nick, I've already decided that I'm now good cop because I've decided I just love Lyndon. So you're going to have to be bad cop now. <laughs> oh, no pressure. All right. OK. I was going to ask a question in a certain way, but maybe I'll go back to the first uh, instance I was thinking. All right. So, um, Lyndon, this... Um, realize that you can't disclose the the secret source and how you really operate. But I think one of the biggest challenges in our industry that we all well know is how do we bring together disparate sources of data to create a single source of truth? And by that, I'm talking about external. And then if you think even internally, you've got sources of data owned by finance, corporate finance, um, HR and people analytics teams, maybe even business teams if you're looking at sales productivity. So um, I recognize you can't tell us explicitly kind of how you do it, but for our listeners, do you have any um, kind of words of advice or recommendations who are starting that journey of how do we bring these sources together um, that they should think about doing it in the most effective and efficient way? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so without giving away the secret sauce, I think you should start looking at your data structure um, and the levels of detail that it's applicable to. That's a big mouthful and a complicated way of saying Hey, if what is this data? How low does this level of detail go? What's this data tied to? Is it tied to a person? Is it tied to a job type? Is it tied to um, a physical location? Right. And start looking at those groups and seeing how often does that data 
across all of the data sets, um, can it be applied to those different buckets? Because that helps you build your models, right? If you're going to say, like, I want to build a model that predicts um, how many um, how many ice cream bars we're going to be able to sell on Mars in 2029, uh, I mean, 2039, right? We're there in a couple years. Um, what's the data I have available? Well, do I have location data for sales in Mars? No, can't use that for that model. Do I have data for um, how ice cream is going to, like the physiological co uh, concept of ice cream, how does it interact with space? No, can't use that. So it's like looking at the data that you have and putting them into clusters and seeing can, what can you use to fit this model and to provide insight. And if it lines up, you can use it. If not, then you can't. And then blending it all is like another secret sauce that you can kind of look at. Like, you know, I can only give you data up to this level of detail. At that level of detail, you get this. And it's kind of like almost like steps, right? Levels of detail when you look into a picture um, where you can see something. When you look too close, you see lots of tiny little pixels. Look a little bit further back, you start to see some color in the shape of a face. And then further, you go too far back and all you see is a dot again, right? You zoom in too much, too too far out, too too close in, and it's about dialing in on what's the right zoom. Another great response. I'm having a terrible time being bad cop today. You just keep calling my bluff immediately. So um, credit to you, Lyndon. Um, and what I'm hearing is that there's that kind of process of take your, your business problem and almost run an inventory of what data sources out there could potentially support the decision or the question you're trying to answer and go through the motion of really first asking yourself, do we have enough? And if so, that's when the work really begins, right? That's when you start to think about the joins. But I think that's really great advice because you have to really have an in informed and recommended um, approach to is the data we have available clean enough at a level of detail and providing enough context for us to make the right decisions or is there a risk attached? And then Obviously, if there is, you have to go back to the drawing board and think about it another way. And I think often people can just jump right into the data, right, and think it's going to tell you the story and then the magic eight ball effect is going to get you the response you need. So um, I think that's really great advice again, Lyndon. You know, we, we talk about this a lot. And, and um, Lyndon and I were on a call, as he alluded to uh, uh, last week. Um, and it's about clustering the data points that are relevant for me. You know, if, if we genuinely want talent intelligence to be a decision-making tool that informs our strategic decisions, then you've got to look and join the dots between skills, location, business continuity, risk, economic data, you know, whatever it might be, ice creams on Mars um, and physiological data. If you don't join that dots, you're only ever going to be looking at talent intelligence through the eyes of talent acquisition. Um, and whilst that can have an immediate impact, that still leads you going from wreck to wreck, right? It makes it really hard to have a proactive approach to things. What what would be the one thing that you would change about the stuff that you've done in the last 18 months, Lyndon? Uh, wow. I've gone so, to bad cop momentarily. <laughs> well, this is a tough one. I, I would say that we made some mistakes, uh, efficiency mistakes, like, could we have done this faster? Could we have gotten there without as much manual processing? Um, we've been dealing with a lot of data. Um, so I wish we could have done that faster. But at the same time, I don't think I would have changed it because the experience of having done through the, gone through this has been so scarring that I will never make that mistake again. So, <laughs> oh, my I, God. I didn't mean to open up scars. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
Well, I, I think that's a big thing. Like, you know, like we, we learned, like we've been doing um, for the taxonomy, we're managing the data on the back end, right? Mm. And if you think about how big Verizon is, all of those data points, like I said, we're, we're over 5 million data points that we're managing and, all, and working on. Uh, that, like, that's, that's very true. And so like when you work with stuff that big, you know, we learned a couple of things like, oh, well, these formulas don't work for this process works for smaller data, but nothing as big as this. And just learning that faster would have been fantastic. Um, other than that, um, other things, maybe getting to partnerships faster and sooner. I think you brought up a really good point um, where, you know, getting it out of TA and, and knowing that. So to get out of going rec by rec, you really have to build partnerships and, and start saying, hey, let me work with our real estate team. Let me work with LND because they've got a seat, a stake in, in this data too. And, you know, getting to those partnerships sooner would have been um, great. We've, we've done a good job of that. Um, but I feel like if we had gotten there a little bit sooner, we could have saved a little bit of, uh, gained some efficiencies. So those are the two things. How much do you think your background helped you to build those partnerships? Because I think that's something that the listeners would be really interested in is, is actually, you know, Toby's been very successful at building partnerships with the business. You've clearly done it. Nick, I'm, I am making an assumption that you also do this because of the cool work that you do. But actually, if I think across our client base and across our prospect base, you know, there's this massive education piece on, you know, the data's there and it's available and there's big data and it's, you know, you, you can do some cool stuff with it. And then there's this massive education piece on you need to involve your real estate team. You need to involve your strategy director. You need to involve your M&A director. Without without your background, how achievable do you think that is? And what advice would you give to our listeners if they were first setting up a TI function that wanted to kind of be more? Yeah. Um, I would say, so this might be controversial, but I'm going to say it's impossible. You <laughs> need, for, let, me, let, me, let me respond first. Remember, no but. <laughs> Don't tell our investors that because they're not going to like that as an answer. <laughs> <laughs> It, it's not my specific background, right? Not not Lyndon specifically. It's the background for your your team as TI. Um, so until you establish your TI team as a subject matter expert, as the source of this data, the source of truth, um, as uh, a leader, um, no one's going to ask for more stuff. Like if you're selling a product, right? And you're selling a really crappy telephone, right? Um, and it doesn't work, needs software updates, no carrier wants to work with it. Um, you're not going to sell more of that cell telephone. You're not going to sell more of that cell phone. But if you're selling a cell phone that everyone wants to work with, it's got all the cool stuff. It's always got the, uh, knows about the trends. It's at the forefront. Everyone wants that cell phone. Everyone wants that product. So your TI team needs to have that background of being a subject matter expert. Um, being credible. So the first thing is establishing your TI team within TA, um, getting that um, support and saying, yeah, we know what we're doing. We know our stuff. And then you'll start to see like your customers come from outside of TA and acro across HR because um, you've built that brand, that credibility, and you'll have the support from your internal TA functions to say like, yeah, we trust that team. That team has done great stuff. Let me show you what they've done. And you have you know uh, a force magnifier for all of that work and building those um, relationships. 
That's so cool. Nick, what do you think? Oh, so you really are bad cop now. You're questioning your co-interviewer. Oh, okay. sorry. I just, I'm, I'm just being nosy. Well, Toby's shut up again, so I just, I'm going to pick on you. Oh, Toby's fallen asleep. No, I'd, I'd love to respond. No, um, he always forgets he's supposed to be asking questions, I think. Let me glad to Toby's not necessarily. Out of coffee, Toby. No, th- thanks for uh, for the question. So um, I think where it starts is um, aligning the impact that you're looking to drive with the impact of your kind of partner functions, right? So as you mentioned, Alison, kind of moving out the silo of TA and focusing on that kind of rec by rec recruiting focus too. When you get into location strategy, for example, um, and this is the type of thing that real estate and facilities have been trying to solve and optimize for many years. And all of a sudden, you have the, the knowledge and understanding of the external landscape to bring this whole additional source of data into that decision-making process. So if we think about it from a TA perspective, we need to be in the right locations of where skills exist to obviously meet our TA goals and therefore business goals. And at the same time, real estate are trying to optimize for acquiring skills in a costly and efficient manner and thinking about really long-term lucrative locations. So I think that's kind of where it starts is just making sure that as you build these partnerships, the impact you're trying to drive is very much in alignment. And it's almost really leveled up at a, a company level. Like what is the risk of making these decisions in isolation? What's the risk of getting them wrong? And what is the opportunity we have by bringing our kind of um, different capabilities together in the broader decision-making process? But to Linda's point, it takes time. Developing that credibility and respect, it's, it's not just knocking on doors and they open. You have to kind of build trust and, and lean in and learn and understand over time. So, yeah, it definitely takes time. Yeah. Uh, you know what might also help is if you start thinking from your business client needs and perspective of what they need and start seeing how your data can support that and start kind of just showing them into as part of your your work. You just kind of drop those freebies in there and it starts to like generate like in, insight and, and interest almost like, um you know, like what you see with like viral digital media, um, think people doing stuff like that. Like, you know, when we say like, oh, yeah, well. By the way, we threw in a, um, a model that's going to predict what it's going to be like. If you if you added 500 people here, we've, we this this is a predictive model that'll show you what it's going to look like if you added 500. You know, we've got talent from like you know on my team. Shop Salia did a great job of putting that um, saturation model together. You know, and, and then working with our other clients who are like saying, oh, we're we're looking at the future skills, and then we have our other uh, Chris Waduda building in our our campus working on building some campus metrics to say, it's like, well, we could give you more than what you're asking for. Like, I understand what you need and we gave you that market map, but let me build you a better product because I can see what you need and we can, what else would you use in your decision-making process? And we build it in and you start to kind of get people interested because they, they know that you're credible. And then they start saying, well, I don't know what questions to ask and you help them figure it out. Remember I said, consulting is, is like a key skill being able to hear the business needs, the client needs, and say, oh, you need that. I've got this too that'll help you make a better decision. So that was really cool because I, I wrote down consulting as the barrier to entry as uh, a kind of part of the next question, which is if you had to give some critical pieces of advice to someone who's just setting up a TI function, um, consulting clearly you've already said would be the first skill that you would put that's your kind of barrier to entry where would you have a skill um where would you sorry where would you have a team reporting to 
And then what other pieces of advice would you give? Uh, where would I have a, a team reporting to and like, should it be yeah. on the TA or is that what you mean? Yeah. So is it going to report into people analytics? Is it going to report into HR? Would it report into strategy? Would it report into, you know, so wave a magic wand, for, forget kind of where you are now, but, you know, brand new, going into a new place, setting up a team, what would be the kind of deal breakers? So I would say really, it depends on your company completely. Where it's going to drive impact is completely up to the company. It makes sense in TA because it's going to start there. You're going to start at the rec level. You're going to see that immediate impact there. But then as it grows and develops, it starts to take its own shape, right? It starts to go uh, help other clients. And it starts to maybe um, fall out of TA into people analytics, um, into your workforce plan, into all these other organizations. So I think that's why you see it start in TA, because that's where you start small at the rec level. But if you are going to say like, hey, blank budget, blue sky, you could throw it very easily into a people analytics. You could very throw it, throw it into strategy. Um, I would see it in either of those two places. It, it's almost like thinking about your, the data that you see is a shared service, right? Yeah. L&D can use it. TA can use it. Business can use it. Workforce plan. Everyone, everyone gets to play with all this really cool data. So that's where I think it's that the SEC article was really interesting. Is that yeah? I I think suddenly this elevation of what you need to do with human capital means that yeah. I think this blue sky thinking of where should data around people, whether we call it talent intelligence or something else. where should it sit is going to be elevated just as a direct result of the SEC reporting. Yeah. I, I will say that, I, think- uh, I will say TA has a really cool spot with it because TA yeah. will see the data evolve faster than any other function just yeah. through your requisition. You will see the requisitions evolve and change faster than you'll see um, it evolve anywhere else because that's your demand, right? Yeah. Demand dictates supply. Nothing. Absolutely. And, and just a quick comment on that as well. And in TA, the, almost the validation point, right? So having eyes and ears out to the market, themes we see, the ability to go and engage talent and actually see the success of driving new hiring or differentiated hiring or otherwise. So it's your execution engine that, that helps you realize if adjustments need to be made um, in real time. Yeah. Oh, now I'm going to play bad cop again. Sorry, Anton, shut up, but I'm going to play bad cop again. If it's the execution engine, haven't you got a gap between strategy and execution if they're not involved earlier? Yeah, you very well can be. I mean, if you talk about um, that article, that Gigafactory uh, article. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me get the Gigafactory out one more time. Um, <clears throat> you know, if you think about that, right, and whether or not you think it's a that was a good decision or a bad decision from a TA's perspective, from a talent intelligence perspective, you know, it's a good example. Like when did you get to the table? When was the data brought to the table? Were you partnering throughout the entire process or brought in at the end or only brought in in the beginning and you don't get to provide any updates as, as uh, the, the business needs evolve? In my honest opinion, you will see gaps if you're not, creating good partnerships and networks and, and saying, hey, we've made changes um, or this is what we're thinking about now and everything like that. So you will see gaps unless you're making good networking partnerships and being a good, you know, Verizon team member. 
or your own company. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, Alison added to that. You, it's, it's so important because the recruiting experience, I'll give you an example. Um, we may go to a certain market where you may have an unfavorable reputation and that really impacts our ability to, to hire. Therefore, part of the strategy would have to be think about talent engagement and developing greater brand equity. And if you, if you didn't do that and did it in isolation and the decision was made, you're going to fall behind on, on the goals and needs. So those kind of nuances need to be known and understood up front as you're kind of developing the blueprint for the strategy or the, the data analysis that you're going to conduct. So really, really great point, Alison. Right, folks, I'm going to leap in now. I'm just mindful that we could we could quite easily talk to Lyndon forever. Absolutely amazing stuff. Even just on the topic of gigafactories, you know how I feel about that. Um, but we do have to call an end at some point, and given we're almost bang on an hour, I think that that point is now. Um, Alison, Nick, Toby, thanks for co-hosting as ever. Um, our fifth Talent Intelligence collective podcast i can't believe we've managed five um we'll be we'll be catching up um, with matt alder soon and his 290 or however many he's done um lyndon huge thanks to you you've been you've been incredible um i hope the experience was a, a fun and a not too painful one for you um i think we had two good cops rather than rather than any bad cops there at the end and um to our listeners a huge thanks for listening and i'm going to just ask do my final ask that i keep banging the drum about at the moment if you are listening and you like what you've heard, please do leave a leave a review. We're not interested if you didn't like it, but if you did, please leave a review and a rating for the podcast. Um, your support is all we need to make sure that the, it absolutely flies and anything you can do to support us will be forever appreciated. So cheers. I'm going to close with my cheesy line, stay intelligent, and thanks again to our co-hosts and guests. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Lyndon. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Before you go, I wanted for the last time to remind you about our generous sponsor, Stratagens. It's that posh chap again, telling you about their fabulous product. Stratagens gives HR leaders the data they need to transform businesses with the speed and ease required in today's world. If you're ready to make decisions that aren't lengthy, costly, one-dimensional, or based on gut feeling, visit stratagens.com. That's S-T-R-A-T-I-G-E-N-S dot com to register for a Wednesday demo drop-in and find out more.